everyone, the Sens Nation podcast is brought to you today by Jim K. Ford. Reignite your passion for driving at Jim K. Ford. Check out all the latest innovations in the hottest vehicles like the Ford Bronco, Mustang, Maverick, F-150, and more. And for your comfort, if you're in the market for a new or pre-owned vehicle, Jim K. Ford will absolutely say yes to bringing a vehicle to your home or place of work for a demonstration and test drive. Jim K. Ford in Orleans or JimKFord.com. At Jim K. Ford Lincoln, we say yes! Welcome to the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast with Steve Warren and the coach, Greg Kennedy. Welcome to our show, ladies and gentlemen. Coming up today here on the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast, Josh Norris comes off the DL. He's been out since late October with that shoulder injury. Matthew Joseph probably coming off as well. He was actually supposed to play the other night against St. Louis. So we'll talk about that, obviously, and the ripple effect that will have throughout the lineup. Hey, how much later do you wait on a coaching change here? Why is Jake Sanderson playing seven minutes less than Thomas Shabbat in St. Louis? And the Sens are now 24th in the Athletics NHL prospect rankings. That and much more coming up today here on the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast. My name is Steve Warren. I've been covering the Ottawa Senators since day one. I'm joined, as always, by the coach, Greg Kennedy. Greg has coached one million hockey teams in the Ottawa area, <laughs> including Carlton U. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I was there for a while, five years. Nice, nice, nice. How are you? I'm good, Stephen. I'm good. Thank you. That's a nice little trip down my resume there, pal. I feel so honored. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know yeah. what I haven't asked you about in a while? <laughs> nothing's happening <laughs> really nothing's happening well we, we're 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 running a tournament in the summer a team okay. lebanon we're talking about here that's right we're going to run a tournament in the summer so we're looking to have a an evaluation camp probably in the spring in like march or maybe april try to get as many of the fellows who are eligible to play in one place at one time and kind of get a handle on what we've got. I mean, up to this point, it's mostly been trying to do scouting via stats and trying to find video here and there and phone conversations and stuff. So we're, it'll be nice to try to get a good group of guys together in this, in the spring. And hopefully we can get a lot of them and then we can identify 25 or so to have a, have a six team tournament in the summer. So I know some guys who can play around town here, like they're good hockey players Guys in their thirties, like what if they were to say, we hook them up with a ten by ten foot patch of farmland in Lebanon, so they technically become, you know, part of Lebanon. Could they play on Team Lebanon? Like, what are the rules? Like, you just have to have Lebanese heritage. Like, what's the deal? Yeah, at, at least at least one parent, okay, maybe one grandparent, and uh, and that and that's good. <laughs> like, okay. like, like, let's face it. Uh, there's not a, there, well, there is not a single rink in all of Lebanon at this point in time. We've got a, a committee as part of our executive board here trying to put the, together some plans and find some money and, and build a rink in Lebanon, but uh, that's probably a couple years away. So right. for now, it's mostly Canadians and Americans. Got a couple guys in Australia and a couple of Europeans sprinkled in, but uh, mostly North Americans at this point. Let's get at it. Yes. Josh Norris is off the disabled list. Matthew Joseph is close. He was supposed to play in St. Louis in that 2-1 loss to the Blues on Monday night. But uh, the bigger story, obviously, is Josh Norris. He hurt himself 
way back in late October, simply taking a face-off and wonder for a while if he's going to have surgery or not. They opted the rehab route. He's been skating with the club for a while. And it is good, good to see not just Norris, but Joseph back as well, because it really kind of rebalances the top four lines. Like it, it, it creates a good positive wave throughout the roster, doesn't it? It's perfect. I mean, we've talked about slotting a lot, right? Uh, even in past years. And here we are this year. And even as recently as last show, we were discussing the third line not really being what it was envisioned to be. We all thought it was going to be Pinto at center and Joseph. And actually in the summer, we would have said the other winger was going to be Formington. You know, and even at some point in time, people talked about maybe, maybe Austin Watson's on your third line. But then when the season started, and it's Pinto between Joseph and Mott. That's a good third line. And it's been completely screwed up as the season's gone on due to injuries. So now that Norris is coming back, he slots into the top six. Maybe not right away. You know, maybe he's playing his third line center his first couple of games back or for a week or so. But eventually, things should slot back into place. Joseph returns. Pinto goes back to a third three hole. And, and things start looking like, like sort of what we thought it would look like in September and, and October. Yeah, I think you, you got to have a third line that chips in offensively. I don't care how good your top six are. That third line has got to contribute. And right now, it's just not in general. Um, we talked about that in the last show. And now that now that Pinto moves down, it's better for him. It's going to be playing lesser opponents. And then you look at the ripple effect on Norris. You know, now you have two really good scoring centermen instead of one. And you're also taking a little bit of the heat off of Stutzla, aren't you? Because... Really, I mean, opposing the other team's best, very best defenders really only had to worry about whatever line Stutzla was on. And now, now you're in a situation where I think it's good for Stutzla as well with Norris's return. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great for everyone all around. Uh, your, your point is well taken that the, um, the, the, defensive responsibilities, not responsibilities, the defensive concentration of the opposition. Maybe it changes again to, oh my goodness, which of these two lines do we need to worry about tonight? And right. that gives the second, uh, whoever ends up being the quote unquote second line, uh, an opportunity to, to carry some of the load. Let's not forget this is a team that is dead last in the NHL in five on five, uh, shooting percentage. <laughs> and then let alone five on five goals. They're in the low twenties there too, or the high twenties yeah. there too. So you can spread the offense around a little with we'll show off some of your depth what little you have and, and hopefully get some things cranked up on the offensive side. And when you get two guys like Norris and Joseph sliding into the lineup, that means your bottom two guys come off. And that's also a very good thing. Guys who can, he's got more <laughs> yeah. guys in the lineup that can finish. And that means we loved his story, but you know, he, he just hasn't scored at all. He had like, I don't know. He ended up playing about, I don't know. I want to double check that. Make sure I'm not talking out of my rear end, but I think Jake Lucini is, now currently on waivers, and I think he leaves the Ottawa Senators with one goal in 11 games. So we all love the Jake Lucchini story. It was awesome that he got his first career goal at the age of 27. But in terms of winning hockey games, uh, there are better options quite clearly in this organization. And uh, you'll also look at what happens now with that second player. Is it going to be kind of a timeshare between Dylan Gambrell and, and Derek Broussard, maybe? Because I assume Kastelik stays in the middle. So there's your four centermen. You probably need a guy like Kelly to play with Pinto and Joseph. 
And so now Austin Watson is a favorite of DJ Smith. So I have to assume it'll be Brissard and Gambrell kind of rotating in and out of the lineup. Yeah, I, I, you pretty much nailed it. You're absolutely right. And, and that's sort of the way it started. When the year started, that's what we were expecting. We were expecting the opposition to determine whether it was going to be a Gambrell night or it was going to be a Broussard night. We expected those guys to be playing fourth line minutes. I mean, especially Broussard, who ended up jumping up into third line, second line. God, he played in the top line some nights and, and power play ice time and things. But I think with age, with time, we've looked back and seen that the age has had an effect on him, and he just can't do those kinds of things every single night. So yet another guy playing for the Ottawa Senators who is out of his comfort zone or out of his depth position with this club. Yeah. So some good news there for a club that really needs some because they start out the official second half of, of the season with a 7 nothing loss in Denver the other night and to add insult to injury or injury to insult in this case. Uh, Artem Zub was injured, lower body injury, and he missed the St. Louis game on Monday. Might be worse than day-to-day, according to Bruce Garriock. So this is his third go-around with an injury this year. Not what you want to see with a guy who just signed a new contract extension with the club. But on the upside, Jacob Bernard Docker comes up from the minors, and he looked really, really good against the St. Louis Blues. You know, you're figuring maybe that He's starting to figure things out at the NHL level. Yeah, the Senators have looked. Oh, geez, I don't know how to say this. JBD, right? We want to talk about that. Yeah, that's that's where we're going here. I went on record as saying that I thought that the next time they call him up would be his last time, and I think that that's what's happened right here. He just got called up. He moved right into the, the top pair. What that says about the rest of your team is kind of scary. Yeah. Uh, not only did uh, did Shabbat play how many more minutes than Sanderson? I believe, I believe that uh, JBD played more minutes than Sanderson too. He's never going to do anything flashy. He's not putting up the kind of offensive numbers that we're going to get from Sanderson and Shabbat. But quite frankly, if Sanderson and Shabbat do what they're supposed to do and play the game the way that we expect them to play, you don't need JBD to bring offense. You need JBD to be a Zub. You just need him to be a solid guy. Defensively in his own zone, he's got a great stick. He's got some size. He gets physical. He's He appears to be able to play the position well, defensively positioned properly. Um, he brings a solid, steady, you're in the top four, you're here. Now, long-term, he's probably bottom pair, but for now, he's better than most of the rest of the guys. No, he's better than all the rest of the guys. He belongs in the top four. Yeah, well, Jacob Bernard Docker, you're right. He had uh, 20 minutes and 56 seconds. Almost, yeah, uh, yeah that's uh, a minute and a half more than Jake Sanderson. And obviously, that was a case of the fact that he was playing with Thomas Shabbat. And that is a personal favorite, obviously, of DJ Smith. And it doesn't seem to matter how Shabbat plays. He's going out there. Although against uh, against Colorado, that's the first time I think that Sanderson actually had more ice time than Thomas Shabbat did in that game. And uh that's where we go next in that Thomas Shabbat has had a, several games in a row now where I'm going, what the F are you doing? Excuse the language. I shouldn't say F like that, <laughs> but it's uh, it just seems like there is at least one seriously calamitous moment for this guy. I can't remember the last game where there wasn't one. So I guess that question is, why is Sanderson playing so much less than Shabbat in that St. Louis game? Yeah, and I, I honestly don't know the answer, Steve. I, I, I 
I mean, I used to think, and maybe I still do, that a little bit of it is to protect him. It, it, there's a difference. We, we, we look at the final number of how many minutes are played by each guy, but break it down and look at who each guy plays against. And that's part of the part of the issue here. Is Sanderson, we, we think he's ready to play more minutes, but is he ready to play against other lines, higher lines, better lines than he is now? Like is, there's, a, there's a comfort level there playing the minutes he's playing steady against generally second, third lines. He doesn't play much against top lines. So are the senators sort of trying to protect him from exposing him to those kinds of things and suddenly playing a game against, you know, Pasternak and, and Bergeron or something? Is is that the idea here that they're protecting him? I, I think that probably plays into it from a coaching staff decision-making process. And I agree with what you're saying. Uh, but if, if the guy that currently is taking up those minutes is playing the way he is and has been for several games, um, I'm willing to roll the bones on that a little. I just, uh, you know, somebody tweeted at uh, out today, you know, why is DJ playing Thomas Shabbat seven minutes more than Jake Sanderson? I get that you're down one and looking to get even, but Sanderson is a much better generator of offense than Shabbat is right now. And so I chime back with, also a better defender, competes harder, more physical, makes fewer unforced errors, and moves <laughs> the puck faster. That's where it's at right now. And uh, I really think that, and we've talked about it before, that we're at a stage now where if you're coaching this team, I think you dial the guy's minutes way back, not only because I think that he's become a one-speed hockey player and that he, he I don't I don't know if he can, I, I just, I, I don't see him accelerate on the ice. I don't see him just, you know, he got burned. On that uh, on that one goal, where obviously it's Talbot's fault for healing it and missing the puck, and it ends up going into the empty net as a result of it, it gets cashed in. But if you look at the lack of effort that Shabbat has after the guys blowing by him, I'm like, are you in the NHL, sir, <laughs> or are you out just actually at public skating right now? Like, come on! And so, I mean, across the board right now, I think Sanderson is doing everything better. So I'm not asking Sanderson to jump into a position that's held by somebody who's doing the job right now. And so my question is, how much longer do you actually wait on a coaching change? Like, is Pierre Dorian sitting on this thing because he is so fiercely loyal? And he talked about it, and he talked about himself in the third person back in November, and he said, Pierre Dorian, he's one thing, he's loyal. And uh, DJ Smith is our coach moving forward, and he's going to be our coach moving forward. And uh, so is he blindly loyal at this stage, being really, really stubborn to what he said about being loyal? Or is this a scenario where it's uh, affiliated somehow with the sale of the franchise and maybe there's a big spending freeze? Where do you see it? Yeah, it's it's hard to say because really I can't imagine the, the, the current ownership telling him that he can't do anything. That's probably what it is. <laughs> you know, maybe the message is coming from even higher. You know, maybe the the league at some point in time, Gary stepped in and said, you know, there's new ownership coming. Uh, don't be making crazy maneuvers and doing silly things to affect the sale of the team. And I don't mean affect the sale as in it may not happen. I mean affect the sale in as far as how much the team's worth and how much you're going to get and and. You just generally don't want to be making changes like that at a time like this. You want things to appear to be stable let's right. right for lack of a better word so i think that's probably part of the reason and yeah I, I bet the other part of the reason is that pierre is loyal i i don't doubt that part yeah i just uh i'm at a point now where 
I don't know. Something's got to give in that we're right where we've been. And when you look at the guys that are still employed as NHL coaches and have been for as long as DJ has, like there's only five guys in the whole league who have coached in more games with their current teams than DJ Smith has. Mm-hmm. And of those five guys, four of them have won Stanley Cups. You got John Cooper. You got Craig Berube. You've got uh, Mike Sullivan mm-hmm. and Jared Bednar. Then the, f- the fifth guy, by the way, is Rod Brindamore, who the last three years has a 700 winning percentage, including this year. <laughs> yeah. One of these things is not like the other, as we used to say in the old Sesame Street world. Um, <laughs> DJ Smith is obviously you know, not in that group. And I, I just... I, I just feel like the guy has had every opportunity. At some point, your sample size becomes large enough that you can't point to any excuses anymore, whether it's bad bounces or breaks in a game or injuries. Like we're he's halfway through his fourth season now. And when they started the second half of this year, where we still had maybe a slight glimmer of hope that maybe the Senators could turn things around, maybe go on some crazy run and play those meaningful games that they thought they were going to in March. They go into Denver and lose seven, nothing like, come on. And I I just, I can't imagine what's going on right now with, uh, even if you're in a situation, Greg, where it's a spending freeze, I mean, bring up Troy man, then do something. That's where I'm at now. Do something. Yeah, or turn it over to Capuan or Davis Payne or something. And, and uh, generally speaking, as a as a pseudo-professional underemployed coach, um, I'm not a fan of the, you know, change for change sake. But there are times when it, it, it has to happen. And and even if that's the only excuse you're going to give, you know, that we're not really going as well as I thought we should be going and maybe it's time for a change. Even if that's the line you want to use, I, I, I think it would help. I think they would be better. I think they'd be better off. Uh, get a get a small boost, the new coach change boost that usually comes with something like that. And and maybe, who knows, maybe you get on a bit of a roll. But something's got to happen. It's just, it's gone on too long. Yeah, I mean, in, in the last 10, 15 years, we've not only seen teams turn around with midseason coaching changes, we've seen guys win Stanley Cups who yeah. arrive on the day of a trade And a few months later, they win a Stanley Cup. You've got Daryl Sutter in L.A. did it. Dan Bilesman and Mike Sullivan both did it in Pittsburgh. Uh, You had Craig Berube do it not that long ago. Uh, I know there's one more that I probably am forgetting. There's a New Jersey in there. Well, you go Larry Robinson if you want to go way back. Yeah. Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not just a – the reason it happens midseason, and and they still do it, it's so common – is because it works so frequently. But it's funny that not one coach has been fired this year in the NHL. Isn't that wild? Well, that's true, eh? Not one. That's true. Well, Patience. I you know, I I think that really um at the at the highest levels, a coaching change has as much to do with expectations as anything else. So really, when you look through the NHL, who isn't living up to expectations? to the point that somebody should get fired. There's a lot of teams overachieving. There's some teams that aren't very good, but really what was expected of them. And I really think that Ottawa might be the only team in the league 
where the expectations were at a certain level and the results are not there. And it's right. the, the discrepancy is probably the largest in the league between, except maybe Florida, between expectations and actual Florida and Ottawa are probably the two biggest gaps in the league. And I don't know how much longer Paul Maurice is going to hang around in Florida. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that because at SendsNationHockey.com today, you head to our uh, Sens Nation journal. That's the exact subject matter that Pat McGuire is talking about. And uh, he lists all the teams and coaches, basing them on exceeding expectations, meeting expectations, and below expectations. And uh, the teams that he has at below expectations, you mentioned the Florida Panthers. He's also got in there a few other teams. The Columbus Blue Jackets, Colorado Avalanche, which is fair because they're the Stanley Cup champs yeah. and they're well out of the playoffs at the moment. The Canucks, although they didn't look in the, like that in the 7 nothing went over the Sens. The Canucks, the Sharks, Coyotes, Ducks, and Blackhawks. Um, I don't know that I have Coyotes, oh. Ducks, and Blackhawks in below expectations because I had none for any of them. Yeah, exactly. But you can talk me into any of the others. Well, I think Colorado's had as much to do with injuries as anything else. Um, I, I don't know that Columbus is necessarily below expectations. Like they're a they're a middle middle team, right? They're stuck in the mushy middle is generally where they've been for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sticking with my auto on Florida. I think those are the two biggest. Uh, yeah. Vancouver. I don't. Who had expectations for Vancouver other than maybe the Vancouver Canucks? Right. I don't know. The, did you Did you think they were a playoff team? I didn't think they'd be this bad, but uh, I didn't True. think uh, I wasn't thinking they'd win a cup. And I think that's kind of what, you know, just slightly, it can even be slightly less than what you thought. But uh, yeah. right now, they, uh, when they started the season, there were 10 of the 32 teams that had new head coaches, but uh, nobody's been fired as of yet. But to the thought about what a coaching change can do midseason for a team, you only need to go back last year to the Montreal Canadiens and Marty St. Louis and to see what, from an individual standpoint, the way things can sometimes switch around to see what Cole Caulfield did, you know, after Dominic Ducharme versus before, I think he played the first 30 games and had one goal. And as of tonight, as we're recording this Tuesday, January 17th, it'll be his 82nd game under Marty St. Louis. If he gets two goals in this game, he'll hit the 50 goal mark. So that's considerably better than where he was at under Dominic Ducharme. Just an example of the kind of change that, um, that a coaching change can provoke. It's a new voice. It's a a new culture. It's a new communication style with new tactics. Uh, And, 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 and so many, almost every young guy on this team, it's either been in in its entirety or at least a good chunk of their career. You know, even a guy like Brady Kachuk, who's moving into veteran status on this team who had Guy Boucher uh, most of his career too. It's been DJ Smith. It's been a lot of losing hockey a lot of defensive zone coverage complaints, and I'm sure that they must be ready for something else. Yeah. So what anyway. I take away from that, Steve, is there's there's five guys here in Eastern Ontario coaching Pee Wee AAA who are getting pretty excited right now, dusting off their resumes. And who are they? Well, I don't know who the five guys are coaching Pee Wee AAA, but there's, there's I'm saying, you said you brought up Marty St. Louis, bringing a great change just as recently as last season. Gotcha. Coming gotcha. from Pee Triple A. I thought you had some insight on some NHL guys that were actually doing what Marty St. Louis was doing. Okay. Uh, I'll, uh, you know, I, I missed rehearsal or something there. I didn't, uh, as, your, as, your, as your straight man, and mucked that up. Uh, let's take a time out on the program. I'll regroup. When we come back, we'll talk about the sale of the Ottawa Senators. There's a new angle in that 
uh, Galadioto Sports Partners, the ones who are brokering the sale of the Sens, they're opening up the Sens books for a select few potential buyers to have a look-see at things. And let's talk to you about that J.G. Pajo uh, situation where the Capitals were playing the Islanders the other night. Ovechkin creams J.G. Pajo along the boards. Was it clean or dirty? And why is Pajo back in the game after that? That's coming up after these words. Jim K. Ford has been serving Ottawa since 1982, one of the longest-running dealerships in the entire city. They've always been family-owned and operated, and their amazing team of professionals from sales to service is constantly training and improving to provide you with the best possible customer experience. And, of course, they're always ready to say yes. Check out JimKFord.com or visit them at 1438 Uville Drive in Orleans. At Jim K. Ford Lincoln, we say yes! Did you know Ottawa's very own Dunrobin Distilleries has been winning prestigious awards internationally for their spirits? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Their gins won gold and silver last year out of the UK and their whiskey came in second place as the best Canadian whiskey in the entire country. So grab some Dunrobin spirits today at various LCBO locations across the province or buy directly from their website. They're at dunrobindistilleries.com. So according to Bruce Garriock, who's been all over this story, the good folks at uh, Galadioto Sports Partners, ones who are brokering the sale of the Sens, they're opening up, I guess, this due diligence website mm-hmm. so that some of the potential buyers who've basically cleared everything, old credit check and all that, billionaires rolling in so they can have a look at the books. And that is just another step in the process. And it sounds like we might know because... When this story first broke, we were supposed to be hearing right about now who the owner was likely to be, even though there was going to be some, you know, some I's to dot, T's to cross. And it got delayed for a couple of weeks. So if they're opening it up now, could be that we know by the end of January or early February who the next owner of the Ottawa Senators is going to be. So that is things are moving along quite quickly. But if you're a billionaire, Greg, obviously, particularly when you're dealing with Eugene Melnick, who is so litigious and has had so many lawsuits, it seems, you want to know exactly all the financials, everything that's connected to the Ottawa Senators. It's not just about payroll. It's about borrowing against a club or whatever it might be. I don't know if any of that's in play, but if I'm a billionaire, I've got my forensic account, forensic accountants all over that stuff, making sure that uh, this thing is all above board and, uh, and good to go. Well, yeah, exactly. Let's face it. We're, we're all the same way. If I'm going to the store to buy a pack of gum, I'm not really uh, comparing prices and looking at labels and things. But if I'm going to the store to buy a new car, I get a little more uh, in-depth in my analysis of what I'm purchasing. It's even right. more so when it's a house. So now quadruple that to uh, I'm buying a professional sports team. Yeah, it's uh, it's a team of forensic accountants looking over absolutely everything in this ultra secret little portal that they they've now going to be given access to. And it's all secretive. It's uh, certain people get access with a password and a code and they keep track of who does it and when they do it and make sure that nothing leaks. Could you imagine if some media members get a look at some of the stuff in there and some of the stories we'd be reading for the next couple of weeks. So it's uh, it's better to be hush-hush. There's a part of me that wants to know, but there's also a part of me that doesn't want to know. I don't want to know what kind of loans were made or what kind of deals were done. I just uh, The only deal I'm interested in is somebody buying the team. Let's get her done. 
Yeah, agreed. Gary Bettman said back in December that more than a dozen potential bidders have signed non-disclosure agreements in hopes of seeing the Sens books as part of this whole process. And now, I'm mucking up that name. His name's Sal Galatioto, and he runs Galatioto Sports Partners. And uh, he and his group are going to decide from those dozen potential bidders which groups, you know, really have the push financially to to do this thing. They'll decide which of those groups will gain access to all this financial info. So something to keep an eye on this week as far as the sale goes. I'm with you. Don't really care who owns the team so long as they can pay the bills and they're willing to compete, right? It's like, I don't want a, you know, first line winger who's not willing to compete, right? No matter what's going on. And it's the same with my owner. And I mean, financially competing, you know, do you investing what you need to invest to be competitive with other teams around the league. And uh, so I can't complain about where, you know, Anna and Olivia Melnick have taken the Sens this year, the way they spent in the summertime, unprecedented. We did not see anything like that in their father's uh, time as owner of the Sens. But uh, as I kind of expected at the time during the summer of Pierre, it felt to me like home staging at the time. You know, getting sprucing the place up for sale, mm-hmm. bringing in Giroux and Debrinket and Cam Talbot, and uh, it's been kind of putting the brakes on the spending ever since. But that's how I regarded it then, and I still regard it that way now. I don't know about you. No, you're absolutely right. It's they. Everything was put in place. We'll, we will never know if Pierre would have had the carte blanche that he had if Eugene Melnick were still alive. We'll, we'll never know. I mean, we have Pierre telling us that this was all part of the plan all along and Mr. Melnick was on board. Uh, I, I, You know what? I don't care about that either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all I care about is it happened. He was allowed to spend some money. He was allowed to make his team better. He just fell a little short. And whether he's going to get an opportunity with new ownership to finish the job or not, we won't know for another few weeks. Moving on. The Sens are now 24th in the athletics prospect rankings. It seemed like not that long ago, they were hovering near the top with so many interesting names down in Belleville. But now a lot of those guys are with the Ottawa Senators. Do you agree with the rankings from Scott Wheeler, friend of the show, having the Sens at 24th in the prospect rankings? Yeah, I I would say so. Let's face it, most of their prospects have already uh, graduated to the NHL. This is a, this is a, there's an age on this is too, right? It, it's 22 and under. So mm-hmm. if you're 23, you graduate out of, out of Scott's uh, ranking uh, right. pool here. So that plays into it. Um, th- all their guys are already up except for, you know, Ridley Gregg and Zosta, Zach, Zach, a Stapchuk, you know, JBD's now up. Um, I don't know, you know, Thompson, uh, you know, there's not a lot. Matt Sogard, there's really not uh, a grade A top flight going to be a top six or going to be a top three or going to be a top pair D or a number one goalie. There really isn't anybody like that who's not already here. You touched on a few of them. I'll give people the official top 10 for the Sens right now, according to the Athletic, in order one through 10. It is Greg, a stop Chuck. JBD, who's now, of course, in Ottawa since that was written, Tyler Boucher, Sokolov, Sogard, Thompson, Yarventi, Clevin, and Hamara. And uh, can't disagree with too much of that. The only thing, I, the only name that popped up to me was Crookshank. But uh, as you pointed out, you know, he's 23 now and uh, he'll be 24 later this year. So anyway, that's uh, 
a decent list. I'm certainly excited about Ridley Gregg. I'm mm-hmm. curious about Sokolov because I, like you, concerned about his skating, but I do like that he continues to progress as far as point production. He's over a point a game, as is Ridley Gregg now, or close to it. So those are the two guys that I'm most interested in at the moment. And Crookshank is in that mix as well because I think he's, you know, he's more than just points. He's exactly that kind of buzzsaw type of a player. He's putting up points in Belleville that Parker Kelly never did. And I think he delivers the Parker Kelly kind of game, but with also a potential to chip in offensively once in more than a blue moon. I think, though, that the the Senators long term, your core is here, right? The, The offensive guys are here. And if you look down this list, with the exception of maybe Sokolov, who I guess is more of an offensive guy, Yarventi, who's expected to be more of an offensive guy, but the rest of these players are role players. They are, Ridley Gregg is a is a middle six at best. A Stapchuk is probably the same boat. Boucher might be a bottom six. You know these. Uh, Tyler Clevin is a big physical guy, but not an offensive guy. The rest of these guys that you're looking at on this list are the guys that are going to fill out the roster around the core and raise the level of of skill. Hopefully, bring more to it for the third and fourth line and for the bottom pair of defensemen. That's what you're looking at in the prospect pool now of the Ottawa Senators. Yeah. And uh, what did I want to say? I wanted to throw one last thing in there. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, when, when it comes to Robbie Arventi, we don't, we're not really sure what he's doing right now because he's been injured most of the year. He's got five points in just his eight games. And so, um, yeah, his obviously, for that reason, his development is kind of stalled at the moment. But, uh, yeah, an interesting list for sure. I want to close it out today with a couple of non-Senator notes around the NHL. Certainly, I'm sure you were... Saddened to hear of the death of enforcer Gino Ojik. There weren't many meaner customers back in the 1990s. And uh, I, I would say that it's fascinating to me and, and continues to be. And it always comes up uh, when we have uh, discussions like this. It's just like how many people loved Gino Ojik and what a quality guy he was. That's just such a hallmark of the NHL enforcer, like the real one-dimensional NHL enforcer mm-hmm. of which Gino Ojik was. Um, those guys are just revered and beloved by teammates, by the fan base, and Gino Ojik was no exception. Yeah, it, if I'm not mistaken, a Hawksbury Hawk. I believe he was brought in there by uh, Bob Hartley back in the day and played some, really got himself, his career started as a Hawksbury Hawk. But you, you hit it bang on. The, the list of guys, you know, even a, even a Bob Probert, uh, now I'm not not coming up with names, but guys that were one-dimensional but loved and revered, revered by fans. And Gino Ojik right there at the top of that list with the with the with the group of them. Manawaki kid, and I'm sure he loved playing for the Montreal Canadiens near the end of his career as well. But his heart was, of course, with Vancouver. And uh, it was interesting. Ethan Bear, who's another Indigenous player, mm-hmm. he plays for the Canucks now. He scored a goal not that long after the announcement that Ojik had passed, he felt there was some kind of karma going on there. But, you know, because as, you know, as a kid growing up, um, you know, Ojik was an inspiration because they just weren't, there haven't been, I mean, even now there haven't been that many indigenous players to play in the NHL. So uh, yeah, Ojik was a real role model and uh, had reached out to him on a number of occasions. So certainly sad to hear he, he died of, uh, by, by the way, of heart failure because uh, he had had, I guess, some, some level of, heart problems that kicked in like, I don't know, about six, seven years ago. 
and mm-hmm. the doctors didn't get much time to live, but he had some, I guess, experimental therapy here in Ottawa and uh, was able to live for several years longer. And uh, they, his family knew that, that, that this day would come. They hoped it would be many years from now, but uh, they certainly felt like they get they, they got some bonus time with Gino Ojik after he was diagnosed with that heart condition. So sad news to hear about Gino Ojik passing away at the age of 52. And I want to finish up with that hit that we saw Alex Ovechkin throw on mm-hmm. former Ottawa Senator J.G. Pajo the other night. Of course, Pajot now with the Islanders. He goes into the corner. He does a clearing attempt, just basically looked like he was icing the puck. And basically, Ovechkin rolls in. I don't know if it's shoulder right to the head or not, but Pajot, he certainly the head collided with the glass, and he was down, and he had the Bambi legs going. He was not right. He was woozy. So let me ask you a two-parter. Was it a clean or a dirty hit? And what did you think of Pajot coming back to complete that game? I was much more surprised that Paggio played in the game in, in today's sporting world with the spotters and the, and the checkups and let's make sure he's okay. The, the concussion protocols. Um, obviously, I guess he passed and he was able to get back in the game. You've got to trust that the, uh, that the NHL truly does follow their own protocols there and, and make a choice to allow him to continue to play. Yeah. I, I really didn't think the hit that was that bad, Steve. Um, Alex Ovechkin's a big man and he hits hard and he loves to hit. Um, Pajot was turned a little bit. It wasn't from behind. I just think it was a big, heavy man hitting a smaller, slighter man. And in this scenario, the way it was against the boards like that, JG Pajot hit his head. What'd you as think? We are, as we are so frequently, we're on the same page. But okay, a lot good. of people, <laughs> certainly the Islanders, did not like the hit, and uh, and and certainly Sens fans are sensitive to it because JG Paju is so popular here, and mm-hmm. we saw not that long ago, might have been I don't know last year, year before, where Ovechkin does the same thing to Nick Paul. Not the same thing. I thought the one on Nick Paul was very yeah. clearly a headshot, and uh, down he went. That's a case of he's going after a bigger guy in Nick mm-hmm. Paul. I would I think Nick Paul probably is a bit bigger than Ovechkin is even, and. Uh, for him to basically, you know, it, it, that one looked dirty to me is my point. Yeah. I thought that should have been five in a game. And I think that's probably why there were some Sens fans who were uber sensitive to the one on Pajot too. Yeah, but it, it's part of the, you know, a hit like that 10 years ago was would have been nothing. Like mm-hmm. there, there wouldn't even yeah. be conversation about it. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's part of the times we live in that open up doors for people to voice opinions nowadays that, whoa, no, that's, that's too hard. But you know, yeah. if it were a kid's game, we'd, and the guy got a penalty for it, we'd all be complaining that it was just the, the bigger kid hit the smaller kid and it was too hard. So we got a penalty. And that's, right. that's the way I feel it would have been if there were a penalty called a year. All right. Let's, uh, before we get to the sense trivia, how about, uh, oh, yeah. how about Marcus Helberg? Huh? Yeah. Nice. How about that? Yeah. The, Detroit the, the suit, suitcase Helberg. Yeah. Detroit has waived. Uh, Alex Nedeljkovic. So now they have Vili Husso and Marcus Helberg in Detroit as their top two goaltenders. And uh, it wasn't that long ago. Helberg came here, got a W. Everybody loved his game that night, but he was one and done in Ottawa. And uh, Seattle claimed him off waivers. Detroit claimed him off waivers where he was last season. And uh, obviously the Red Wings love him because They've made him one of their their two guys, and uh, that did look like. I mean, it looked every bit like a player 
that that can play in the NHL, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, good for him. Yeah. He's paid his dues. Totally. Uh, I think Seattle claimed him three times. Detroit's claimed him two or three times. Ottawa jumped in the middle there. I mean, it's not unlike uh, uh, Marcus Hogberg. It's not unlike, sorry, no, who was the goalie before that who got claimed a couple times? No, it was Hogberg, right? I'm, I'm um, confusing. Who was the one who left with the concussion problems? That would retire. be Andres Nielsen. Okay, was it Nielsen who got claimed, 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 claimed? Yes. Yeah. Had some success here in Ottawa. Yep. I mean, it's not uncommon for goaltenders to get there late, to arrive late. And this is a guy who made a choice. He said, no, one more kick at the can. I'm not going back to the K. I'm coming to the NHL this year, and I want to make it. And good for him. You know, there's only two goalies left in Detroit, and he's got one of those jobs. So good for him. It is time now for Sens Trivia, ladies and gentlemen. It is brought to you by Kodiak Security Systems. I have the lone question, and you can play along at home, ladies and gentlemen. We certainly encourage that. I want to see if you can see how many guys you can get out of this question because uh, it's a multi-deal. I want to know the five Ottawa Senators in the history of the franchise who've done one better than a hat trick, who've had four goals in a single game. Five different guys have done it for the Ottawa Senators. Okay. I want to know. So Pajot's a playoff game. We don't do we count Pajot? That we was a playoff not. game. We do not. Okay. Then uh, I can remember an Alfie. Correct. I cannot. I I can remember a uh, um, a Hosa. Yes. And I want to say that it's the three H club. I want to say Heatley Hosa Havlat. But then again, you're always worried that every time you do one of these things, there's some guy sneaks in there that what's he doing in that list? Mm-hmm. But I, I I'm I'm convinced that the Triple H club is there, and I know Alfie's there. And the fifth one, I maybe that's going to be the outlier that we're going to look at and go, really? That guy did score four goals? I'm, I'm not coming up with a fifth one. Four is pretty damn good, though. You got all four right. Havlat, Heatley, Hosa, and Alfie are right. And, and number... If, I, if I'm not mistaken, was Havlat not first? Uh, the first guy to do it would be Hosa in 03. Oh, sorry. I thought yeah. Havlat was first. Havlat okay. did it in 05. And uh, the most recent member... Of the twenty, or of the uh, of the four goal club for the Sens was in twenty ten. Alex Kovalev. Oh, from the shooting come the four goals. <laughs> I'm I'm remembering that now. Oh, I had no man. recollection of him getting a four goal game, no, but no, he did. I, I'm remembering it. I just have flashes of Alex. Kovalev. That was strictly Eugene Melnick, right? My favorite player. Go, he's a free agent. Go get him. They signed a two-year deal at $5 million per, right? Yeah. Uh, make no yeah. mistake. Not that I'm surprising anybody with this take. Eugene Melnick was effectively the assistant general manager, or the co-general manager, or maybe the general manager of this team for many years. And I'll leave it at that. Uh, that's it. That's our Sens trivia for today for Kodiak Security Systems, Ottawa's largest independently owned security alarm company here to keep your family and business safe. Whether it's the dangers of home invasion, smoke and fire, carbon monoxide, water damage, medical emergencies, or extreme temperatures, Kodiak Security is here to help you protect what matters most. Learn about their security systems today for home or office at kodiaksecurity.ca, 2801 Riverside Drive. And that will do it for today's show, Greg. Yeah, that was good. That was fun. Yeah, Yeah, it was fun. We did all right, didn't we? We got through it. I think so. Uh, ladies <laughs> yeah. and gentlemen, we appreciate you being with us today. Don't forget, we're uh, going off twice a week 
And uh, yeah, we appreciate you uh, checking us out. Our website is sensnationhockey.com where you can find the past shows. Please give those a listen. And uh, it'd be great if you share the show with other Sens fans out there that you think might like the show as well. Thanks to our Patreon members. And uh, thank you for being with us, ladies and gentlemen. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for being with us on the Jim K. Ford Sens Nation podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and review. Share the show with your friends and followers or become a member on Patreon. Check out our website today at SensNationHockey.com.